Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George Stahl, joined by Seth Abram, Anna Bryant, and Mr. Scott Reel. And we're glad to be joining you guys here. And uh, we're on this journey of transformation, this new book that Scott has written. It's going to be coming out soon, but we're taking each of these days and just talking about how we could have conversations about the story of our life and look at our lives more compassionately and more deeply and live more fully. So we're having a good time with that. And today we want to talk to you about identifying God in the brain. Yes, this sounds like a wonderful topic. Um, The word God may be one of the most powerful words a person encounters. The moment we encounter God or the idea of God, our brain begins to change. That's what we're learning from neuroscience. If you contemplate God long enough, it strengthens a unique neural circuit within your brain that enhances well-being while subduing destructive feelings and emotions. So contemplating a loving God rather than a punitive God reduces anxiety, depression, and increases feelings of security, compassion, and love. So yes, we're going to talk today about the science of God, and I'm, this, I'm really going to date myself, you guys. There was an old commercial that said, this is your brain on drugs. How about this for a title? This is your brain on God. Mm-hmm. This is your brain on God. Anna, I want you to start this off because um, in this day, Scott is urging us, we need a new picture of God. And without an authentic uh, picture of God settled in our minds, we won't participate with divine transformation. So how do we participate with divine transformation? And what is that new picture that we need to see? Mm, Sounds like a a deep, multi-layered question with a lot Mm -hmm. of possible answers. Um, (laughs) I can tell you my experience is, um, you know, I think a lot of people, their, um, their, picture, idea, understanding of God is shaped by their family of origin, um, by the culture Mm. they grow up in, by their religious or lack of religious experience, and also by uh, maybe some of their life experiences. Those things all shape uh, what we think about who God is and the, the possibility of His existence. And a lot of times, well, I wouldn't say a lot of times, I would say probably 100% of the time that view is wrong because we are mere mortals that do not have the full capacity to understand God and His vastness, right? We're very limited. God is unlimited. So with that frame of reference in mind, understanding that there is more to know about God than we currently have in our limited frame of reference and really trying to to press in and seek like what is actual truth about who God is. And there's a lot of different ways we can delve into that. It could be, you know, if uh, Christianity is your frame of reference, it could be like really doing a deep dive into scripture. Um, It can be in like really contemplating and questioning like the messages you received about God in your, your faith tradition, if you grew up in, in some kind of religious tradition. And, um, and does that hold up to the experience of, of who you know God to be when you look at the world, the greater world around you? And, and really um, questioning, like I think questioning what you have always known is a great place to start in saying, is that actually what I truly believe? Or is that kind of like what 
I was led to believe. And so it, what, I, what I think is that really does, like, what we think about God really kind of drives our capacity and how we show up in the world. Um, specifically, mm-hmm. if God and love are synonymous, like, the way that we view God is going to drastically affect our capacity to give and receive love. It's like, I'm hearing you say, Anna, like, a new picture of God is not just the one we inherited because someone told us this is yes. the picture of God that we should have, but maybe the authenticity in this is that it's a picture of God that's truly developing authentically within your heart, within your experience of life. And mm-hmm. we all need something that's more personal and close and not just something that, that's borrowed. That's kind of what I'm hearing you saying that. Absolutely. Scott, Scott, you said this, you said, uh, or you asked this question, you said, do you picture God as gracious and merciful or as punitive? Which is a great question to ask. And you wrote, understanding God as punitive doesn't build a system that's rooted in the mindset of grace. And our fixed mindset rooted in religion must go. Those are strong words. The mindset of grace establishes a new system for the mind to understand and appreciate God in a way that wasn't previously possible before. So those are strong words that our fixed mindset rooted in religion must go. What did you mean by that? You know, I almost think that, um, you know, I've asked myself often, where has the paradigm been shaped for me as to who God is and how he relates to me? And um, I think I don't. it's just systemic in our society. I grew up believing that as a Christian, you do not do these things versus growing up believing that um, this most loving father who will do anything to help me and to grow me and to teach me and to care for me and will reach into my human condition, whatever that may be, what whatever those struggles may be, instead of condemning me, actually healing me, coming to find me, pursuing me. And I think that's what I love about the concept of grace. When I think of a graceful God, it's a God who's going to pursue me in my darkest stuff. He's the one that's going to fight for me. I know I keep talking a lot about this TV series, The Chosen, but they show Jesus pursuing these people who end up being the lead characters of the Bible that that have shaped all of our lives. You know, Simon Peter, you know, Matthew, just all of them. And he meets them right where they are in the midst of their greatest struggles. And he pursues them. He says, you're mine. And, and so that, uh, that paradigm of a God who, who loves me that much, who will fight for me, versus a God who's like going to turn his back on me unless I get my act together, which is our society is shaped, I believe, very much on that on that type of system that you're rewarded when you do well and you're punished when you do bad. That's our whole mm. correction system and it's that's our grade card system, school system, everything. Um, it's like and, God's God's good, you're bad, try harder. <laughs> yes. That's very well. That's said. real helpful, right? Yeah. And you're talking about more of an advocate that is working in the process of our healing and thriving. And that picture of God so much more helpful. And here's the thing, you can just make that a religious thing mm-hmm. or just for, you know, religious people. But the truth is, is that we live in a modern world of science that we're beginning to learn that actually thinking about God in this way is so much more helpful and healing and leads to well-being. Um, so when we're connecting 
people with the brain scans and, and they're thinking on a loving God or a punitive God, one is doing damage to our brain and one is healing our brain. And, and mm-hmm. so this is more than just a religious or a question of faith, you know, well, now. Well, yeah, George, and that yeah. study that they did on the, on the loneliness epidemic and mm-hmm. how, it, how detrimental that was to our mental well-being. And at the end of that study, they said at the end of the day, the belief that the individual was connected to something far greater than themselves was so healing. Well, the connection to something far greater than themselves is love. Mm. That it was good and it was caring, and that, and so without that, uh, our brains just are, don't work right. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful to live in a world where we're not just going on faith on it. And faith is a part of this journey for sure. There's a mystery to it, but uh, it's kind of nice to have you know some modern science backing what you know mm. the ancient scriptures have have always invited us to to see. Well, Seth, either God is merciful and gracious and loving or punitive. And so, but trying to hold both these views in a belief system make us unstable. So, uh, and I know we're all trying to live more, uh, less dualistic. Hmm. But in this instance, how how do we live more free from this image of God that's more destructive to our well-being? Hmm. That is a, I think it's a pretty complicated question because um, as Anna said, uh, sort of addressed earlier, you know, we, I can't help th- but think, but we are creatures with brains that need to understand. We need to label things. Uh, I actually think it's largely for energy conservation that we do this. But um, like, it's the reason we walk by a tree and we don't keep questioning what in the world that thing is. Like, our brains have already categorized that. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to use that energy, right? And and I think we do that with things, concepts, or or things like God that is seemingly infinite, that is impossible to understand. Um, we have to label that. So, you know, one way we do that is we project our humanness onto what we can understand so that we can be in relationship with something that we we can make sense of. And I think that's really important and really beautiful, but limited. Um, I think of actually in the Christian monastic tradition, are you all familiar with the words cataphatic and apophatic? I think you've introduced these to us before. Have I really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just a, a quick reminder then, like the the uh, the cataphatic is is where you label God, where you put characteristics and and qualities, so that you can be in relationship. God is good. God is just. God is these things that I can make sense of and be in relationship with. Whereas um, the monastics knew that that also needed to be held in tandem, so that you don't uh, turn God into only a few characteristics that that you are comfortable with or that you make sense of because then you turn God into an idol. Those characteristics needed to be held in tandem with the apophatic, which is to uh, label me is to negate me, is what Kierkegaard said. And I think to label God is to also limit God to those things, because again, the brain is wired to categorize, and that's what we do, is then we limit it to that categorization. And so we we can only understand something as, as much as we... I, I, the question for me is is largely around what are your already preconceived um, notions or ideas of who and what God is, because they are limited. You can't think about the mm. infinite. You really can't. You can't put the infinite into a box. And I just think that's that's one of the ways. Um, like Anna said, you got you, you got to look at the 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 areas, um, the, the the categories, or sorry, the uh, yeah, the areas in which you know you your understanding of God was formed in the first place, and begin to start, you know. Asking what were were those uh, 
areas did they teach me that God is love? You know, because I do mm-hmm. I do think that's there's a reason that's as as we're already addressing. Like I think about my kids and how my understanding of God largely I think as most parents have with parents like your 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 idea of God changes when you start having kids because I wouldn't treat my kids you know in a certain way and I've actually found out their behavior is more like the one the, the the kind of behavior that I want. They're more likely to listen when they feel first seen and accepted and and loved by me. Then when they feel seen and I ask them to do something, they're actually more likely to do it rather than, you know, interrupting their doing something they're doing. So I just I think about that and how my kids knowing what it means to be loved first is how their behavior is what I want to see more often. Yeah. And hearing you say that I guess, would you say like this, Seth, in understanding God, maybe one that would be trustworthy would to begin with the experience of, of feeling loved. And in some way mm-hmm. that what your understanding is growing in is more helpful to you becoming a more healthy human being, one who's experiencing, you know, more of the good things um, in life. So, yeah, we can project our image onto God, but maybe a good way to think about it would be to, what is the way we're thinking about it? What is it actually producing in our health? I mean, in our hearts and in our lives and in our world. And so, and, and maybe maybe there's a good argument against it, but I think we all believe that a more loving, gracious uh, experience of God um, leads to a more loving and gracious healing and growth of human beings and the world that we live in. So, for sure. There's the, I'm blanking on her name, but the lady that said, the author that said, if God hates all the same people you do, you know, you've created <laughs> God in your own image. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes. Scott, um, this, this was important to you this day, identifying God in the brain. Um, so it, it seems that the argument you're making here is that it really matters how we're thinking about God, this word God. And there's, Here's just a final thought, and then, Scott, I want you to to uh, give us kind of what you want us to take away from this day. But new evidence collected from brain scans, all right, and studies of wide-reaching surveys of people, people's religious and spiritual experiences, which are quite broad, not just Christianity, but it's quite broad. But there, these experiences reveal this. God is wonderful for our mental, physical, and spiritual health. And it's, it's about having the right image of God that actually works with that. So you said here in, in this day, discard the picture of God as a God of judgment and replace it with the picture of God as a God of mercy and love. That's what you're driving at here, right? Yeah, the, and at, there at the last page, I talk about one of the great verses in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son. And the image of we know everything he's done, he, he's run away, squandered it all. He's, he's done it all. And then he realizes he, he's lost it. He's really mm-hmm. lost it all. And so, you know, he makes the decision, I'm going to go back to my dad, to my, to my father, see if he'll even let me just work on a farm, you know. And what does his father do? He runs to meet his lost son. And that's, mm. that that image, I realize that, if I'm going to say this well, that, that vi- our view of God, who, not who is focusing on what I've done, but a God who focuses on what I can become. 
and mm. was going to fight for me and 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 work with me to create co-create with me the, a new life and a new beginning which is my true self and so that um I don't know of any I don't know how we can work in a process of transformation. I don't know how we can even live with a hope that is not tied to the belief that that's the God who will love me no matter what I've done, where I've been, what I've struggled with and is always always going to be there to help me fight my way out of that place. Um, not from judgment but from love. Mm-hmm. And that's uh that's and that's that's Jesus's image it, of it, the Father which is. which <laughs> as a Christian we should hold the same view, the same picture of God, right? And I love Eugene Peterson's uh, writing of that because when the son is coming back and he's kind of groveling over all the mistakes he made and he wants to repeat all of his failures and all of his sins. And I love how Eugene Peterson says, he says, the father wasn't even paying attention. He just wanted to embrace him. He was running out just to embrace him. So he didn't even want to hear the confession. (laughs) He was just so glad that his son was back home. What? just an unbelievably different image of God that um, maybe many of us have grown up with a different version of that. And so I really do think Seth, Anna, Scott, you both have mentioned that it's it's important that this word grow in our minds to something that's more personal, something we're exploring ourselves, not just something we're taking on because our parents gave it to us or someone else said this is the only way to think about it. We, we need personal experiences. And I think if we can open our heart and our lives to that, I think we can all develop a new picture that's much more helpful to our lives. Well, I want to read this. Uh, you ended this day with a text out of Romans, which it talks about how there's no condemnation in Christ. But I want to read the end of this. And I just want you guys, if you would, could you tell me what one way that could be helpful to our listeners that your view of God um, your picture of God is changing most meaningfully right now for you, okay? But let me read this first, and then um, we'll go around the horn here real quick to, to end this. But Romans 8 says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation— will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. our Lord. That's the view of God I'm holding on to. And one of the ways that I'm growing, and I'll go first, um, it's like, can I believe in the God that, can God be as loving as I would hope him to be? And I don't know, people might think that's an exercise and missing out on something, but what I'm discovering, the more that I believe God could be like that, the more I experience that God in a beautiful way. So can God be as loving as I would hope him to be? I'm believing that and trying to grow in that picture myself. How about you guys? The way that I have grown in my understanding of God is that he is so much more kind than I ever imagined and that he created us to grow and to thrive and um, I think so much of my understanding was wrapped in very limited and fallible human teaching. And it gave me a very incorrect picture of who God was and what he wanted for my life. And I think anything that limits me from growing, living fully alive, um, becoming fully who I was created to be from 
from my inception, right? Humans are vastly unique, and God doesn't use cookie cutters to make people, and therefore He doesn't use mm-hmm. cookie cutters to for our, our lives are not going to like. We all have a unique journey, and I'm embracing that, right? Forging my own path and recognizing that maybe my life isn't going to look the way that I was told it should look or that I always imagined that it would look, but it actually is so much more rich and full and unique to me and how God created me to show up in this world. Beautiful, Anna. Um, One of my favorite things that I resonate with a a lot lately is a a guy named James Finley who says, um, I believe in a God who protects me from nothing but sustains me in all things. Mm. And for me, that is is understanding, um, but a lot of as we all have, but a lot of painful aspects of life hit. And, uh, you know, through that journey, I've had to let go of smaller conceptual ideas of who I thought God was. And in that, um, I've found that uh, exactly what I, what I just quoted from Finley, that I'm sustained in all of those things. And, and for me, that is, uh, has been trying to wrap my brain around the idea that God is not just a larger being out there up, up in the sky, but that God is actually the ground of being. And that's why actually God is closer than the air that I breathe because God is, you know, it's in, it's, what is that uh, scripture reference? Um, it's in you that we live, we move, and we have our being. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is my, that is my take on my understanding, my limited under- ability to, you know, try and understand the infinite. And, you know, I tell my kids, I'm trying to teach them now that, you know, associate love with God, God with love. Yeah. Those things, those two things are synonymous. So you are not separate from God. You are a part of God. And when you are embodying love to someone, you are showing them God. And wow. I think that's a much healthier, <laughs> uh, more inclusive and expansive mm-hmm. take on on God. That is love, which is which is often um, a, th- a dangerous thing for people, uh, a scary thing for people, because love goes to places that you w- don't want it to and you wouldn't expect it to. But I think that's God. Um, and I'm also then reminded, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it to you, um, George. What was that thing you were talking about from Roar that Jesus showed people? It was something around. Uh, do you know where you know where I'm going? At all no. yet? Did I, did I leave you enough yet? No. <laughs> uh, we could edit this out if needed, but something along the lines. You're of, throwing um, back at me what I throw at you guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, George. Remember we talked about this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was when? I think our pre pre meeting about yeah. um, God didn't or Jesus didn't save us from God, but showed us what God looked like or something. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Jesus isn't trying to. Uh, save us from God. He's trying to show us that we were always already loved. It isn't like Jesus sacrificed, now we're finally lovable. <laughs> it's like, no, mm-hmm. Jesus is showing us that no matter what, we're going to be loved. Mm-hmm. And that's a completely different starting and ending point. So mm-hmm. what, what I love about what you're saying, Seth, and Anna too, is that we're talking about reality. We're not just talking theoretically about God. We're talking yeah. about a real, a real experience of God, an inner experience, an outer experience, and how we can those things can align and we can trust them more. And I think that's integration. That's healthy living and growing. And so, yes, 
God is a mystery, and there's parts of this that we hold that we don't understand, but there's also parts that we're experiencing in everyday real ways that we should trust more deeply. And I think that's where we're driving up. Scott, I want to give you the last word here, though. Identifying God in the brain. Why was this important to write for day 15? I think it's, you know, it's almost in the center of the book because I believe it's at the, it's at the center of our journeys if we're going to find freedom and healing. And, in, there, you know, the th- premise of the book I created was that our paradigms shape our lens, our views of life. You know, we've said before, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And how I, how, what I believe about God, how I see God is going to shape my life. And for me, um, the systemic influence of our world, our society, which rewards perfectionism. Mm. I mean, everything we watch, whether we're watching sports, you know, we cheer the winner, the one who ends up being perfect, uh, the, the best books, the best movies, the best, you know, we celebrate that celebrities are such a huge part of our society. Those who get the most, those who are physically gifted the most, mentally, you know, it's, we, we idolize perfectionism. And so, in reality is, I struggle with my imperfections because I, the longer I live, the more I realize how imperfect I am. And what that triggers in me is shame that I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. And I, in this work that I've done over the last 25 years, I've had some extremely successful people come through our groups and they still don't believe that they're good enough, that they're enough. It's almost like it's it's a curse of our of our, our human condition. But to actually... For me, viewing God who meets me in my imperfections, as, as when Paul asked Jesus to remove the thorn three times, and Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do it, Paul. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. So I think there's, um, and if we go back to Bradshaw's work on, on shame and, and becoming toxic, he says that God created us to re- realize that, that, that we're imperfect and that we're we're not God, and will and it just takes a burden off us if we can let that go. But somehow we have shaped God, and I have too, the belief that when I do well, when I do it right, when I get it all right, uh, somehow that's going to earn His love. And um, and it's just the opposite of that. I feel like I'm learning that He loves me just as I am, as imperfect as I am, and actually likes that I recognize my imperfections because I turn to him in my imperfections and I say, help me grow in this. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't have any need for him. Is that not what the first beatitude is advocating? Blessed Mm -hmm. are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. First thing Jesus really is advocating to us is embrace your perfection, your imperfections. Embrace your brokenness. Meet me. I'll meet you there. And we'll grow together. And, uh, just takes a burden off the human condition. And uh, I really believe that's why in our groups, which we keep saying, and I'll always advocate that, where a person is fully known and they share their imperfections without being afraid of judgment, it's, it changes their life. And that's the body of Christ meeting them right where they are. So, Scott, it sounds like your new picture of God is that he could be 
trusted with your imperfection and your brokenness. And in fact, the only way that you're going to grow and heal is that you would trust that presence in the midst of that. And I, I absolutely love that. Well, if we sound like preachers today, friends, <laughs> we are. We're preachers of love, <laughs> preachers of healing. And Jesus gives us this beautiful picture and understanding of God and the way he lives. And so, but for some of us, maybe that's not the faith tradition we come from. Or maybe some of you are agnostic or atheist. And But I think maybe what we can all maybe trust in is more grace to ourselves, more grace to each other, more love, because that seems to be, regardless of whatever kind of faith you hold, seems to be the way that truly leads to human thriving. So although every one of us uh, are on a different path, we're all on the same human journey. Christians, um, whatever your faith tradition is, agnostic, um, atheist, we're, we're all human and we're on that journey. But visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org to learn more about groups you can join. We'd love um, somewhere along the way to journey with you. And if we could help, please reach out. But over every mountain, there is a path and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. So stay on the path and take care, friends. Mm-hmm.